Hi, I'm Jason Sachs. Welcome to Classic Comics Cavalcade. This week I'm joined by First Second Books editor Robin Chapman for a discussion of Stock Rubber Baby by Howard Cruz. If you haven't read Stock Rubber Baby, it's one of the finest graphic novels of the 1990s. A uh, fascinating exploration of a man kind of coming to age and growing into himself as a uh, gay man in uh, 1960s South. It juxtaposes the civil rights movement with his coming of age in a way that is very intriguing. Robin and I have a really interesting conversation about Cruz, the work, and the process of bringing great comics to the bookstores today. Hope you enjoy it. It starts right after this ad. Well, I appreciate you taking some time to talk about Stuck Rubber Baby. your interest in this in this book and your appreciation for it that means a lot to me um yes i wrote a book that's a history of the 1990s in comics for a publisher called two mars publishing and um oh, great. so i had to read i had to read a ton of material from the decade it's meant mm -hmm. to be like a survey of um, all the highlights of uh, comics and graphic novels during the decade and stuck rubber baby just completely stands out as one of the most unique, heartfelt, and interesting books of its time, really, that's ever been published in comics form. Yeah, thanks. I, I agree. Um, I, you know, masterpiece is sort of a, a big, important word, but I, I kind of feel like it, you know, it's the appropriate word. I feel like this is, um, you know, just like it, it belongs in the canon, um, the graphic canon of, you know, comic literature. Can you talk a little bit more about why you're a bit, such a big fan of it? Um, I mean, I just, I just think it's a great graphic novel. I, I first read it in the, the late '90s when I was an art student, and I came to it like not knowing anything about it, um, which is kind, kind of a nice experience to have. Sometimes when you, you just discover a movie or a book, and no one's told you how great it is or anything about it, and you can experience it fresh. Um, that can, that can be. A great experience as a reader and that was um my experience was actually taking a, a long flight and just grabbed something that was at the airport bookstore and it was stuck over baby and um yeah i just i just think it's a a really you know rich work of graphic literature and i think it's very layered and it's it's just great comic storytelling and um and i you know i love the artwork i'm interested in this the story that's being told. So yeah, just it's just um, this kind of graphic novel that that I like, um, kind of on all levels. There is this this complexity and richness to it that um, I found really powerful, um, and found a uh, so I found a magazine in which uh, they did a special issue on Stock River Baby, an issue of the Comics Journal, and um, Howard Cruz, who's the artist, is interviewed, and one of the things he says is. Works of art that have lasting value are the ones that address the complexity of life, the complexity of spiritual issues or moral issues or justice issues. And I think he puts it really well because um, the book is about, it centers on an extremely flawed lead character who finds himself caught in the middle of uh, forces larger than himself just as he's trying to figure out his place in life. And so it's extremely relatable, but also at the same time, exposes you to uh just concepts and themes in a way that is very I'm not, I'm not sure what the word is very um well thought through yeah it's um 
that's a good way of putting it, Wolf. Drew, um, I didn't realize until, you know, I acquired this book for, for a second and we started working on this making of section in the back um, in this um, biography of Howard that uh, he was, he came from theater. That's that's his background. That's what he, he studied in, in college. And I think, I never had a chance to ask him, but I have a feeling that that probably informs him as a story storyteller because it does feel like it's a, it's this, you know, this is complex, layered story with all these characters and, and their their backstories and they each have their own unique voice. It just feels very perfectly staged and complex and layered. I, I, in a way that at the time, certainly you didn't see graphic, too many graphic novels that, that had that depth. And even now, um, you don't see that many, but I, I think sur- surely in the mid-90s there you just didn't see graphic novels quite like this. For a work of just 200 pages of depth, it introduces us some characters who were just extremely memorable. Told in the lead character, I just keep thinking about how um, he makes the wrong decisions all throughout his uh, youth, and um, that makes him almost more trustworthy as a lead character to me. And then characters like Ginger, who opens herself up as who, who um, Tolan sees in one way and opens herself up as a very different person. And even the depiction of like the way the society deals with gay culture, the Southern society of the 1960s, I should say, deals with the outward flamboyant gay culture is really intriguing and kind of goes differently than you might expect. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, I guess one thing that is like does draw me to this work is the main character of Toland. I do think he's he's very relatable. Um, you know, I relate to him in a lot of ways. I'm not I'm not proud of. He's he's kind of he's weak in a lot of ways. He's afraid of doing the hard things. He um, he gets dis, you know it's hard for him to take a stance to like um, put himself out there. Even though, even though deep down he's a he's a good person. He's you know. His ethics are in the right place. He's, he's not, a, you know, he's certainly not a bigoted person, but his his uh, lack of action, of motivation, like um, to, to making much of an effort to do anything um, to help the the community around him stand up to um, bigotry or um, injustice. He really he doesn't do anything until he's inspired by uh, by Ginger. He, he um, and I, I think that there's a lot of people who can relate to that where they, you know, they, they, they're good people, but they, they, um, it's hard for them to bring themselves to do the, the right thing, the hard thing, to, to you know, like, to go to a sit-in and, and put themselves out there. And at least be present um, in the moment and be experiencing the moment. Uh, I, I found myself thinking about scenes like the March in Washington or the terrible, horrible funeral scenes. And just this, um, I guess I guess the most interesting piece of that is um, his attending the funeral for the poor children who were killed in the hotel bombing. Um, mm-hmm. And he feels so out of place there, but he feels like it's the right place for him to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah, he feels that way, I think, in... A, in in different places in the story, like yeah, do I do I belong here? Do I belong at this party? 
do I do I belong at this dead end? Do I belong at this this funeral? And I think that's um that that fear of not of not being in the right place, like not stepping into someone else's place, or um you know not wanting to step where you're not you're not where you don't feel like you don't belong or it's not your space um, can keep people from really becoming engaged in, in doing good work. And I, I think that's one thing that held him back, especially before he really became involved with Ginger. Mm-hmm. But he changes too. And I think that's a lot of what gives the book its fuel for me is um, we see this kid who grows up um, right under our noses, really. Uh, it has to yeah, go. I, go ahead. Oh, so yeah. I guess one thing that I really um, find kind of moving with the story is that, you know, it's it's about this civil rights movement. It's about this era in history um, in the late 1960s in this fictional town in Alabama. Um, so that's that's sort of the, the setting of the story. But it's also a, a coming of age story where he um, really finds his community and learns to um, accept himself and be himself, be, you know, be authentic, and, which he had never really done his whole, his whole life. And it's, it's um, just almost you know, from a storytelling cinematic aspect, it, it's really interesting to have this background story of this historical moment in America, but also have this very personal story about um, really embracing your identity and being becoming comfortable in your skin and you know being able to move forward in your life as an authentic person mm-hmm. um, so it's like a very personal like, individual story but also this larger story as well one thing that comes through from the interview is how important it was to howard cruz for this to be a real novel uh, to not have it be i kind of think of now as like a forrest gump sort of story um mm-hmm. w- where it's just touching on historical events but really have it show evolution and change. Uh, yeah. I'm not sure if there's a question there, Robin. Uh. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I never thought about it like that Forrest Gump sort of way of, of telling a story. But yeah, like it's, he, he really gets in with the detail. There's a lot of background information about these people, about the movements they're involved in, or about, you know, the, these uh, these politicians or these policemen like like there's just a history to everything that is you know somewhat fictionalized but also um the, you know the larger story is all true. Yeah, he talks about that in the introduction that it would be very tempted to call this autobiographical, but it's not, most decidedly not. Um, and he pulled mm-hmm. together um, elements from history that other people had shared with him. Um, the wonderful little anecdote about the crazy black woman, for example, he said he wouldn't have dared to create that himself. Someone actually shared that story with him. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I think that gives it this, this sense of almost greater truth. Yeah. Yeah. I can, I can, I can definitely see that. Um, I mean, maybe the work he did contacting a lot of people in his community, cause you, you know, this, this, this is, you know, some of the story is Howard's story. He, he did um, have a girlfriend when he was in college, and they did um, accidentally um, get pregnant, and um, she had a child, and, um, and that was that child was put up for adoption, and that's, that all happened and stuff for her baby, and that was 
big kind of, I think that was the germ of truth that he um, built on when he first pitched the story, but it couldn't be just about that. It, it couldn't just be another coming out story. It, it needed to have um, this, this greater context in um, this, uh, this time and this place that it was, it was happening in. Now, you work with him directly on this project, right? And I, I should mention, if, for those who haven't, who don't know, um, he passed away late last year, unfortunately. But you got to work with him quite a bit before he passed away, right? Yeah, he was pretty involved in the project, really up to almost a week before he died. And we, were, we certainly weren't expecting um, that, you know, it, 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 he took a, a turn for the worse. It, it didn't happen really quickly. Um because, you know, even a week prior, he was sending us notes for the, the back matter. That's the, the material in the back of the book, that extra material. Um, he, was, he was writing the making of. He was writing the, um, all that material and, and sending notes and kind of answering my questions about that, um, like, a week before he passed. And I didn't realize it at the time, but some of that writing he was doing from the hospital. Mm. Uh, and then there was a point when, you know, we realized everyone realized how serious it was and um and that was kind of the last that, that we we talked to him um and yeah but he he was really involved like howard was a real archivist um if, if you look on his website if you look on his blog he he's even before this book project he was archiving the process of this book like the, how he made this book how he the reference you know sort of reference the research he did um, he just saved a lot of material, and so when it came time to pull together this making of um, piece in, in the back of the book, he had a lot to provide. Um, but yeah, he wrote all that. He wrote a, a new um, afterword. He wrote the bibliography. He provided the photos. Um, so there's a lot of rare photos of um, from his life, from like photo reference he used. Um, yeah, and he was very open to all, you know, he, like I'd suggest something and he was like, oh, yeah, that's, you know, that sounds good. And he was very eager to provide the material. Um, but at the end of the day, this was, you know, Howard's an auteur. This is his book. It really needed to be um, what he wanted it to be. So we just um, suggested things and then followed his lead. But he was really open to this being sort of an archival edition um, that would have new material that had never been published before. And it turned out when um, when I acquired this book, we did the math, we're like, oh, if it comes out next year, that's uh, 25 years since it was first published. It, so we, um, we, we packaged this as a 25th anniversary edition. And kind of remastered and also in a larger size than it first came out in. Yeah, you know, not it's not a hugely larger, if that makes sense. Um, it's not, it's not going to be like one of those IDW um, books where it's like the size of a coffee, t- coffee table, but, uh, but it is it is larger, and that was um, something that Howard and his agent um, communicated to me uh, when we were just even talking about for a second maybe republishing this book, that um, Howard only wanted to do it if it was larger than the DC edition, because he felt like that just wasn't um, large enough for the, all the fine detail in his artwork, and so we pretty much published it at the largest size that we could um, publish a hardcover and still think it would, it would sell well because also bookstores um, it's hard for them to show books that are kind of so large they're almost like a novelty size so mm-hmm. um, it was this 
kind of our largest standard size that we have had a history of being able to sell um, books well at that size. So we, so we published it at that size. His art has a massive amount of detail too, and um, I think it's going to thrive on that new size. Just the amount of work he put into every detail of it, from the clothes people wear to the cars they drive. There's that wonderful picture in the back of the way a tire changer looked in the 1950s. Oh, yeah. Um, or 19, yeah, 1960s, excuse me. Um, and just, uh, I, I can't imagine putting that much effort into making sure every detail is correct, but it shines on every page. Yeah, and you got to remember that this was, you know, in the mid-90s, early 90s, that Howard was making this book. There wasn't Google image search. Like, he was really finding these cars and, like, taking pictures of them or finding that, that tire balancing machine and taking a picture of it or getting old Sears catalogs and looking at the fashion that people were wearing, um, going to the library. Um, yeah, like, doing a lot of um, deep research that I think us cartoonists today um, we, we probably <laughs> were maybe a little more lazy than that. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think it does really, this really shine. And I, I, I think it's, it's, it's more than just like a surface thing. I'm like, oh yeah, he, so that, that salt shaker looks correct. But it, it really feels like it, it's world building to me. It, 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 I think, I think it serves the purpose. Um, and Howard does, or Howard did write about, um, that whole research, um, uh, experience like uh, in the back matter, and including there's like a, a photo of the the tire balancing machine that he used, or um, you know the, the, some of those Sears catalogs that he, he used. Um, yeah, that's uh, and also he took a lot of he had people. Um, yeah, this is this is what you you did before smartphones. I guess he would have friends like hold a guitar and he would take a picture and he'd get that you know film developed and. So now he has a picture of hands holding a guitar, and he can draw Ginger, or he can draw someone walking up a, a stairwell by having his friends pose, and he takes pictures. Um, so yeah, this is just a lot of a lot of photo reference, but I, I think it, it, it really helps the book in a major way. I think it's just one of the things that shows the amount of care he put into the book. Uh, I know he mentions he did five drafts of it as well, and um, all this, I think the story that most talks about that is the scene on page 115 at the funeral at the uh, church, um, there's a crowd scene where there's, he must have drawn a, 200 people or so, and he actually drew each one of their faces individually, in part because he felt it was just more respectful to do that. Yeah, yeah, and that's something he writes about in um, in the back, that scene in particular. I think that, like, in fact, I'll just pull it up real quick. Quick, he said uh, um, he'd spend more than a half an hour um, in one sitting, um, each day just drawing one person in that crowd scene and then um, slowly got through the whole crowd scene. Um, I think crowd scenes are always hard and a lot of people make, you know, workarounds like, oh, I'll just draw a circle. I'll just draw a bunch of circles and those are people's heads and that's the crowd, which I think is fair. But um, no, he, each character um, has, has some personality. Yeah, it really brings it alive. And his art style is so detailed as well. Um, he he put uh, just so much work into that as well. Uh, and I think you, I, you mentioned in the promo materials that a lot of that work has been rescanned or remastered. Well, I mean, for the artwork, like basically um, the artwork that 
for the, the pages of the book. We, we had to use what um, Howard provided. And so we did work with his with photo stats that he provided. I know that, that was something you were you're curious about, how to, what materials were we working with. Um, yeah. So we were working with photo stats, um, but they're really pretty high quality. And um, there was only a couple of places where we had to um, kind of work to, to um, get the image quality up because maybe some of the detail kind of blew out on the photo stat. But I, I hope um, that people will agree that the, the quality is, is, is really high and, um, and it comes through. What was he like as a collaborator? Oh, he was just like a really nice guy and um, really kind of eager and happy to, for this, for this, I think he was just very happy that this book was coming back into print and was willing to do, um, all, you know, his part to, to make it succeed. So he, he was just very um, um, active and, you know, got back to emails right away and if I asked, hey, could you could you write a little about this? Could you write a little about that? He he um, had something written in a few days, so he, he seemed um, very eager to be um, part of the process, and that you know was happy this book was coming back in the print. And yeah, so he was he was kind of really easy to work with, to be honest. Uh, yeah. That's awesome. You could tell, like. The, the, this was obviously his magnum opus. He thought about this for a long time. It took four years of his life, a deep struggle in his life too, uh, which left scars, but obviously also left him with just a great sense of gratitude and appreciation for having the chance to do this, I think. Yeah, I've, I've, I've heard him write a lot about like how this took four years, and I think he only wanted it to take two years. And, um, and he says four years, like it's a long time, but honestly, like, that's how long graphic novels take. Like mm-hmm. maybe the, the, he didn't realize that, or the world didn't realize that back then. But honestly, if I could get my my authors to produce a, a graphic novel um, with this this much um, depth and detail in four years, that'd be a good turnaround. <laughs> um, so, but uh, but but yeah, like it, it, for doing you know one comic full time for four years is certainly something he hadn't experienced before and um it, it meant he really had to put a, a lot of other things on hold and and it, it was a lot of work for sure and he had to go a very unique way to get the book funded or to allow himself to have more time to complete the book yeah yeah um i think when in your email you mentioned it was almost like a proto kickstarter um yeah process of getting the book funded and i hadn't thought of it that way but that is a good way of putting it so um, so basically because, uh, you know, um, Howard got an advance from DC, um, which is his first publisher for this book, and but it, the, the advance wasn't enough to, like, sustain him, you know, for four years without outside work, and so what he did to help support him during that time is he did apply for some grants, but he also um, tried to, or what he didn't try actually did, he, he sold um, pages from the book to people, to, to friends, to fans, to supporters. He sold it to them in advance of actually drawing the pages and at a higher cost. So it was a lot like a Kickstarter um, reward where um, you, you know, you funded the book by, you know, giving a, 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 a you know, giving him, you know, so many hundred dollars and then you have to wait a couple years and 
you get your original piece of art. Um, so that's that's my understanding of the process. And he uh, and he writes, you know, about that in the the book. He's always been in, in every edition of the book, in the two um, editions that came out from DC and ours, he includes an acknowledgement section where he thanks the people who, um, you know, supported him during that time, and also just both financially and in other ways, um, with the research he did, with, um, you know, being hand models, when he needed a hand model, um, yeah, there's like a two-page acknowledgement section in the back. Yeah, I think in a way that makes the novel even better because uh, it, it has this kind of community feel to it almost, which is a perfect fit for the the themes of the book is uh, none of these characters are ever really alone. No matter what they're going through, they always have their extended family and their friends around them um, who often will surprise them. And that's a lot of what Cruz went through in the creation of the book, too. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, it is really a book about communities and how community can really help you grow as an individual like how this sometimes some of the friendships you make can you know save your life and um really help you um be a, a better person yeah i think he and he does become a better person as the book goes along i think that's so much of what makes it powerful mm-hmm. um I think the first question I had on the list um, is a little of an odd question considering what we're going through right now, but why is why is 2020 the right time to reprint the book? Well, you know, when I um, decided I wanted to try to acquire this book, I wasn't thinking like 2020 is the right time. I guess I just felt like any time is the right time. Like I feel, I feel like this is a book that um, should be in print forever, if possible. You know, it should be available to readers um, for, for, for as long as possible. It's this classic graphic novel. It should be in print. And um, so that's really where I was coming from. Uh, I, and, uh, and like I said, we just did the math and realized it was, it was 25 years, so we could package it as an anniversary project. But, um, yeah, I just, I just hope that um, it'll always be in print. <laughs> And, and it, but it had been for for several years. The um the you know the Vertigo edition, which was the most recent edition, had gone out of print, and right now you can only buy used copies. Um and I I know people like um, educators who wanted to bring this work into their their classroom, and they couldn't because their their students can reliably get a copy of it. Um. Uh, having said that, there certainly like. There are um, a lot of reasons that this, this book is relevant to, to our life in, in 2020. Yeah, it just feels... Um, you can keep going, please. Oh, well, yeah, just, um, I mean, I guess one thing that, that kind of... I, when I, you know, when I reread this, when I was thinking about acquiring it, I was, I thought, you know, it's been several years since I've read this. Um, I wonder if I'll read it again and it'll feel dated or or um, something about it will feel kind of off. Um, and I read it, and it, and just, it honestly didn't feel that way to me. It felt very timely, and it felt pretty relevant to our times. And um, and, and for, there's, um, I guess, you know, there's a lot of, um, you know, political, like, parallels you can draw um, to, to politics and, and, and um, civil rights movements and social justice movements that are happening now. You can draw parallels 
of the civil rights movement of the late 60s to um, Black Lives Matter. Um, so there's, there's that relevance. I guess one thing that also struck me is, um, like it seems in 2020 and 2019, there's this form of kind of blatant racism, the sort of a naked, nakedly hateful racism that um, I've seen out in the open that I just don't remember seeing maybe five years ago. It used to feel that that, that kind of, you know, sentiment um, was more more of a fringe thing, but now um, there's these, you know, there's these, you know, racists and uh, white supremacists and white nationalists are, have this, have online communities and have rallies and parades and um, that, that's certainly relevant to um, the era this book covers, the, the late 60s. Um, and there's something about our, our current era that feels um, kind of scary for that reason and feels like there's a lot at stake. And so I guess that, that it's just sort of a charged time. And of course, this book, the time is also very, the charged time. So I guess that, that's the parallels that I drew. Yeah, in the end, I I took this odd sort of comfort from the way the book ends, too, where um, when Tolan is a hippie in San Francisco and it runs into um, his sister's ex-husband, who had been stridently anti-gay and ends up kind of becoming much more accepting, it kind of reminds me that everything passes over time, that um, everything that feels important in the moment may kind of dissipate, become something different anyway that we're not trapped in our world our painful world we live in today yeah that's that is that is kind of hopeful so what else have you worked on at first second what else are you working on at first second oh uh, let's see i guess i've been at first second um been full-time four years and um i started acquiring uh, maybe three and a half years ago and you know, when you acquire a book with the Supper Baby, it's a little different because this book was, you know, completely finished, of course. Um, so the time period from, like, acquiring it to um, seeing in print is, is pretty short. I, I think we, we acquired this in the summer of 2019, and, and now it's going to be published in, in summer of 2020. So it's something you can do in a year. Um, but typically when you acquire a book, when someone pitches a graphic novel to you and you... Um, you you know do the work to get your your publisher to um, a, agree to uh, you know a book deal. Um, then the book has to be created and that takes years. And then there's the editorial process and so um, that's all to say that the books that I, I first acquired are just like starting to, to come out into print. Um, I guess the first thing I worked on was this series of comics called Maker Comics. We have a couple of nonfiction middle grade graphic novel series, um, the first one being Science Comics, which um, we've been doing since 2016, and we've, we've done a lot of them. There's at least, I think, 20 that are either in print or about to be in print, um, and then we have 10 more um, planned out, and um, so there's Science Comics, and we're doing this new series called History Comics, and Maker Comics is kind of like a sister series. Um, to those two. It's a, it's a DIY graphic novel series that teaches you how to build things or make things, like how to bake or how to fix a car or how to um, how to garden, 
how to draw a comic and build a robot, that sort of thing. So I've been working on those um, for the last couple of years. Um, I guess that was, that was the first thing that I really acquired. Um, and that definitely keeps me busy. Um, nonfiction is, is hard. <laughs> and, uh, and instructional nonfiction is, is really hard. Um, there's, there's the, you know, if you don't get, if you screw up when you're, like a, a typo in, in some instructions means you, those instructions don't work anymore. So your book is broken. So those those maker comics, uh, they they take a lot of care. Um, yeah, I have um, you know mostly I've, I've done middle grade graphic novels. I also have a young adult graphic novel that I'm um, working on uh, with the the author Sarah Winifred uh, Searle. Um, I think that'll come out next fall. Um, but Doing a lot of middle grade um, realistic fiction is, is, is what I'm doing a lot of these days. Um, I, I'd say a, the biggest portion of what we do at, at first second is, is middle grade comics. We, mm-hmm. we mostly do comics for kids, but we've always had um, a portion of, of our, our line that's um, for adults, like Stuck Over Baby. Um, but I'd say the majority is for kids, and we do a lot of um, graphic novels for that middle grade age group from 8 to 12, and we have a pretty good selection of young adult as well. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I've also worked on the, the Margo Malou books with Drew Wang. I love those. Drew's so great. Um, and we have a third book coming out um, next fall. Uh, sorry, not next fall. Fall of next year. Um, yeah, everything we're working on, it's really, like right now, at first second, we're working on books that are going to come out um, in the summer of 2021, and they're just about done. So it really does take us about a year from the book being completed to us having it, you know, released and, and out in the world. Um, so we're always thinking like a year ahead. Yeah, that's probably the biggest difference between comic publishing and real-world book publishing, So you have such a tremendous lead time. Which, of course, allows for more uh, corrections and more details to be taken care of, you know, continually in a rush, I'd imagine. It's true, like, especially when you're juggling a whole bunch of books at the same time, because we, we do about 15, we publish about 15 books a season, and we have three seasons a year, so, you know, 45 books a year, it's, it's, it's a lot. Like, so you're always, like, you know, working on one season and looking ahead to the next season, and finishing up the last season, and then we just keep doing that over and over again. Yeah. yeah never, that's the fun of the work, too, I imagine. Mm-hmm, sure. Um, any other last thoughts you want to share on Stuck Rubber Baby or Howard Cruz? Um, well, you know, it's uh, I just hope people will, will, will search it out. You know, it's an interesting time to, you know, to be a, a work for in book publishing and to be releasing books. Um, you know, with the, you know, COVID-19, um, you know, for example, we were going to release this book at TCAF, and there was going to be a panel um, with Justin Hall, and mm-hmm. originally when Howard was, you know, still help, you know, was still here with us, he was going to be a special guest, um, but now, you know, TCAF has just been canceled, and, you know, book, can- book festivals are being canceled left and right, and bookstores are closing, um, so it's you know it's a tricky time to try to buy books, but this you know this book does come out in in May. Um, we did that because uh, this would be available in print in time for Gay Pride, and, and um, so I guess I would just say it might take you a little extra effort in May to find this book, but please do take that effort. Um, 
And um, I, I hope you <coughs> find it. I hope you love it. Yeah, I, I, I've now read it. Uh, three or four times and each time I just find more in it to uh, really enjoy. I'm so glad it's coming back in print. Thanks for being part of that. Oh, um, thank you. Thanks for, you know, being a part of it too with this podcast. Oh, thank you.